the reality is like you can't outmaneuver product market fit you need a good fucking product you need a great offer and you need a landing page and creative funnel that converts and more important than all those things is the great product and the offer welcome back to buy sized um i'm really excited today i've got really good friend of mine we've known each other for a couple of years uh ben he's the co he's the founder and ceo of disco uh skincare brand ben pleasure to have you on thank you so much for your time dude yeah thanks daniel good to be here excited to chat awesome um so for anyone who doesn't know you uh tell me your your two minute career history where it started and and what you're currently doing at disco yeah so went to school uh in north carolina uh, towards the end of my time there, I started two gyms, specifically CrossFit gyms. So think like boutique style, high, high quality, um, but you know focused on CrossFit. So I managed them from sort of 2014 to 2018 and sold them um, at the end of that time, and then pivoted quickly to starting to work on Disco, which I started working on in the beginning of 2019, and that really stemmed from you know, a bunch of knowledge and whatnot that I acquired more generally from my time owning gyms around nutrition and health, even skincare. And, you know, around the time I was selling those businesses before I started working on disco, I just couldn't find a singular men's brand that sort of spoke to me and, you know, frankly, just started disco in response to that. So it was fulfilling my own need and seeing like the needs of many other men in the country as well, which was to find one unified place to buy all their natural skincare products from. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Um, so that you didn't feel like pursuing the gym path. Alex Hermosi wasn't around at the time. So did you, did you ever yeah, work with him? Yeah, he was actually. Oh, did he, you? He was so funny you did that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was actually a, um, I was actually a client of a gym launch. His first, oh, no like, way. Big, yeah, that works. That was part of the um, uh, sort of strategy for scaling one of the gyms was Facebook oh, ads wow. and everything that they sort of taught there. So um, was deeply familiar with him and his teachings and that first business of his. Oh, amazing. Amazing. Uh, I mean, you kind of just touched upon the initial motivation for, for disco kind of like first and foremost, kind of solving a personal need. Um, you know, talk a little bit more about like what went into that. What was the process of getting the branding dialed in? What research did you did product wise? Um, talk a bit about how you, you know, from initial ideation to a landed product, what, what did that look like? What were the considerations? So there's a way to do it back then, which was the way that I did it. And then there's the way to do it now, which is, we'll get into that in a second. So I, I raised some money, um, from friends and family, basically to fund the initial brand build out the initial purchase orders, uh, do, do the initial research, et cetera. And, you know, that took hundreds of thousands of dollars and that was sort of the, um, the vibe of the time, right? So this would have been like end of 2018, beginning of 2019, D2C brands were getting funded left, right, and center. The economy was booming. Um, so there was lots of seed stage funds that were sort of looking at brands like Disco at the time. And, you know, you had a proliferation of big wins a few years before that, sort of dollar shape, et cetera. And, you know, so the environment was pretty hot. And the, the strategy then was always like high burn, high growth, acquire as much use as possible, and then, you know, sell the business before you go to retail or then go to retail and then sell the business. That was basically like the playbook in short. There are some exceptions, but that's sort of like the rough playbook. And for us, try to do the same thing and for whatever reason, like could not raise um, from funds. So sort of we're able to raise, you know, cash here and there um, just to keep us alive. And, you know, in terms of what went into it, you know, it was about nine months from the time I decided to do it until we launched. We we're fortunate in that we aligned with a great branding partner in New York called High Tide, and as well as a supply chain partner in Anvil. So they had a consulting team at the time that 
helped us build out our entire supply chain from like concept and just literally like, oh, let's build a moisturizer to landed um, our seven, you know, products um, that we launched with. So I had a lot of help in that respect and spent a few hundred thousand dollars on it. And in retrospect, like now, if I were to launch a brand, you know, I think it's 25 to 50K max to do it quote unquote right, right? And what that includes is like using a lean partner to design the brand, set up a landing page, you know, do the initial purchase order. Um, you could probably do this for less than than 25 grand too. And then just cut and see if it works. See if other people think, um, you know, they have the same problem as you think there is, right? And so in my case, like, let's see if other men, you know, want skincare products, right? And that allows you to test to be much more iterative. And then you can either raise money or put your more money of your own or, you know, whatever into the concept. Once you've actually validated that it works and there's a real demand for it, whether that's through influencer marketing or setting up paid ads, you know, obviously Facebook ads are quite difficult these days, but I still think they're a really good signal to validation of whether or not there's true demand for your product. Now, the numbers may not make sense from a CAC to LTV standpoint initially in this test, but you can at least get some direction out where like, okay. This is a $40 basket product. Like the CAC isn't $200. Um, it's see, well, with some testing and more investment, we can probably get that down to 20. And therefore there's a business there from a CAC to LTV standpoint. So that's how I would start a business now versus back then. And I've learned a lot of lessons and, you know, accrued quite a bit of scar tissue from, you know, going the venture and sort of raising route versus like, you know, being a bit more, um, durable from the start. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. The, I, th I think you're totally right. You know, back then raising money, doing that. I, I also just think in general, like proving the concept out on like an MVP, right? Just like seeing if there's interest and in what can be done. Like not to say you did it wrong, like at all, because I mean, you, you've built Disco, but yeah, I think like there's so there's so much that's shifted, right? Like advertising wise, data loss, the heydays of Facebook, like doing it on a more kind of like test and learn and a lean kind of approach these days kind of makes sense. Agreed. Yeah, the, the environment has totally changed. And you know what? Like, it should have been like this back then, but there was just so much money for this case that, like, of course, of course, people were money pre-product, pre pre-launch, et cetera, on an idea. And, you know, these, these cycles sort of happen in other parts of um, the venture ecosystem too. But yeah, consumer in general has gotten decimated recently. And it's really shown us who actually has business behind, you know, the closed doors. You know, is there cap and LTV and gross margin in order? And if those three things are in order, you probably have a business. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Um, on that note, like DTC is a was, you know, it became a business model, right? It's like Facebook ads. We've got some capital. Like all you have to do is, you know, run Facebook ads, and and you never have to explore anything outside of that. Um, but then I think recently, you know, I'm seeing more and more trends, even in verticals outside of CPG, where it's kind of like a little bit more of a requirement to eventually go into retail and Amazon and stuff like that. I'm, I'm seeing more brands think of DTC as less as like a business model in a channel. Um, was Disco purely DTC to begin with? Is it now? What are your thoughts in terms of like a more omni-channel approach? Yeah, it was DTC to start. Um, you know, at the time we were sort of leaning into what worked, right? And even in 2019 when we launched, like that was still just scaling through Facebook ads. Like if you're CAC dollars and people were on average spending 40 and you had 60, 70, 80% gross margin, like you were profitable first purchase roughly. Right. And if you get people to come back even better and you get a two, three, four to one LTV to CAC. And that's what obviously you strive for. Um, now it's completely changed. 
but you know, with all the data loss stuff from iOS 14, et cetera, it's, you gotta be really, really diligent and really lean and meticulous when it comes to your marketing. And if you're, especially if you're, you know, focusing on just D2C. So I'd say to answer your question, um, consumable products should be thinking about D2C as just a channel, uh, in the grander scheme of like Amazon, um, retail, et cetera. There are D2C plays that I think work. Um, one of them being like a hardware play where the AOV average order value is sort of 130 to 200. And then you have a subscription or um, sort of refillable or consumable element on the back end. An example of that would be like an air filter, a water filter, a shower filter. I'm sure you know the brand I'm referencing there. Um, where they make money on the first purchase from the hardware. And once you spend that 150 or whatever dollars and you're using the product, like you basically have to stick around for the refills every two or three, six months, whatever. So the LTV just grows and grows. So those are the businesses where I think T2C still works. But I think ultimately, if they're building to be acquired, which most of them are, as they like to make money, uh, the acquirer will probably put them into retail eventually too. So I don't really see too many scenarios where not being not including retail um, makes sense, but there are some exceptions. Yeah, yeah, agreed. You mentioned um, dates lost and everything else. Like, how, how have you shifted your marketing efforts? Like, how do you now look at measuring your marketing success? How has your marketing evolved? Um, what are the key things you're doing now that's different to maybe what you were doing previously? Yeah, I mean, we look at, and there's so many different an, uh, analytics and um, the platforms and also um, acronyms that people like to throw around on Twitter stuff. But uh, for us, we just look at blended CAC. And we look at that on a per channel basis and more importantly on just like a blended basis across the business. So if we spend X, what is the blended CAC today based on revenue, right? Of new customers. So that's kind of how we think about things. We know the metric that we need to hit for the business to make sense. And that's kind of how we orient in terms of how we've like thought about marketing allocation as far as spend goes and data tracking. Yeah, we've pulled back on most channels and just focus on Facebook, Instagram, and Google now. Uh, I think it allows us to be really focused and understand what's actually going on. Now, if you're a bigger brand, sort of like 25 million and above, obviously that's much more difficult because your marketing spend is probably allocated across multiple channels. So I, I think, you know, I'm not going to chime in on that because every brand has found um, homeostasis in some way, shape or form and what works for them. But generally speaking, like blended CAC is how we orient our business. And, you know, we use things like North Bean, um, as well. And in terms of strategy that we've deployed to improve our CAC since iOS, just landing pages, testing offers and creative, like there's nothing really, there's no like real rocket science to it. Yeah. There's like tips and tricks and tactics with like the AI, um, retargeting audiences and things like that, that, you know, people like to nerd out on. You can find some wins there and stuff, but the reality is like, you can't outmaneuver product market fit. You need a good fucking product. You need a great offer. And you need a landing page and creative funnel that converts. And more important than all those things is the great product and the offer. You could have a bad landing page or great product and a good offer. Like you could still make a lot of money that way. So I would say just focusing on the six, which are, you know, product, uh, offer, and then, you know, how the landing pages and, and the funnel, so to speak, are, are sort of set up from a conversion rate optimization standpoint. Yeah. hundred percent. It's such, it's such an interesting thing. Cause when you, when you say it like that, it, there there isn't some silver bullet to marketing right it's like it's doing the it's actually doing the basics and the obvious things right going where attention is going where the demand is and do a really good job of like testing creative 
in terms of what hits and a landing page that converts. I think that, you know, and I'm, I, I, I tweeted this out of all the podcasts I've done, you know, when I speak to people and it's actually a question I was going to ask you around like customer loyalty, having a good product that people actually benefit from, enjoy using, where it makes sense. There's a need for that in the market, in the world. You know, it doesn't have to be something, you know, you know, forgive me, but there's other men's skincare brands out there, right? But it's it's different. It's like I'm a, I'm a consumer of Disco because it just speaks to me more than other brands do. It feels like it's made for someone like me. Um, so I kind of like, I like your answer of saying, well, we just focus on doing the basics, right? Ads, good creative, landing page, have the best product we can and have a really good offer. Yeah, I, I think if you do all those things and you consciously know that you do those things and you have smart people around you, either on your team or consulting you or working with agencies that do those things and things don't make sense from a CAC and LTV perspective, it might be a sign to you know, call it a day with that concept and move on to another one. I think that's been another big problem. Um, but it, candidly, that we've experienced at times and many of my other friends' brands and people we know have experienced is just like trying to fight for too long. Um, if you really are putting your best foot forward and you've done the best you can with the brand and the products and you've assembled the best possible team, whether that's a combination of internal agencies, consultants, or whatever, and you've really actually given it a try with different offers, tons of landing pages, different creative, and you invested heavily and the numbers don't make sense. I mean, I think, I think, you know, taking that pill and taking the medicine, so to speak, and moving to another business, um, is something I've seen a lot of people, um, prolong the struggle with and, um, you know, I guess, I guess the point is basically like, it's, it's pretty easy to tell whether a DTC business is going to work or not. Um, pretty quickly, just you're working with the right people and investing the right amount of capital. You can figure out within 90 days if the business is going to work or not from a capital LTV standpoint, you, LTV might need a bit more time than usually know. Yeah, I agree. I a hundred percent agree, especially as an agency seeing, you know, we, we obviously were benefited from seeing a lot of brands and you're, you're well plugged into, into the kind of DTC world. Um, you know, it, like I, I think to your point, you can tell really quickly, like if you're doing, if you're putting in all the right inputs from a marketing perspective and you're not seeing a different result after a certain amount of time, you, you, you can, you know, as an agency, we, we get this sometimes if we're working with a brand, but we're, we're pretty good in terms of our. Uh, checking the clients that they're actually something we can be successful on, but driving the marketing person harder normally doesn't solve the issue. <laughs> like, like if you're working to your point with a good part, a good, good, good consultant or whatever it might be. Um, on that note, and, and to the loyalty piece and retention piece, you know, Disco has got a subscription offer um, or opportunity, right? Um, does that, is like, how do you think about that? Is subscriptions a really large part of the business? What are the challenges there? Because I think, you know, a subscription-based a subscription based brand is, you know, if you can get that working, is is almost like the North Star, right? Recurring revenue, loyal customers, but it's, it's not as easy as that. Like, we see it. We have a lot of brands who have subscription offers, moving people in from first-time acquisition into a subscription. It's hard and then managing churn rates and everything else. How have you set it up? Is it working? What's worked? What are the challenges around it? Yeah, we've tested pretty much everything under the sun when it comes to front-end acquisition and back-end retention, which is what you're specifically asking about. 
Like I think again, the answer is kind of a. I don't want it to be a cop out, but it, just having a great product that works and meets the need. Like it's really, it's unfortunately like it is that simple. There's just simply no silver bullet, and you can deploy tactics like and analyzing where the critical drop off is in subscribers from like month six to seven or whatever, right? And that could help. And over time, if you get five, six, seven of those like incremental wins, you could actually meaningfully change your retention numbers for sure. And there is a time and a place for that, you know, really meticulous data science. But at the end of the day, like if you don't have a brand product that people jive with, they want to keep using and evangelize, you can't outmaneuver, you know, the bad products basically. Yeah. Yeah. And is that really how you view it? Like, you know, if, if so if, if let's say in disco and, and you don't have to talk details, if your subscription numbers weren't high, would your would your initial thought be, well, let's make a, like, let's see what we can do from a product perspective. Yeah. I mean, we've tried to deploy all the tactics candidly that, you know, I spur referenced around like, you know, perhaps a bit of over analysis and we actually have gotten some wins in that respect, but what we're up against, which is sort of unique to disco is that we're in a category where fundamentally like one in 10 or one in 20, who knows exactly what it is. There's a bunch of studies and stuff, but it's, it's, a very small minority of men are using skincare products and those that do, um, you know, tend to be loyal, but also at the same time, like you're, they're not evangelizing the brand because it's not something you see outside of the bathroom. Whereas like this shirt, if it had a logo on it, for example, like if I'm wearing it and we're having lunch, you and I, and you like, like the way it looks on me or whatever, you can see the logo or if not, you can ask me where I got that shirt. And I tell you, you can see that I had a good skin, but you're probably not, I mean, I'll speak for me and my friend, you're probably not asking uh, you know, what, what skincare products you're using. So there's, there's like a societal challenge where there's very low adoption rate. And then secondly, on top of that, there's not like a, um, a virality or networking effect built into the business because it's not something you naturally share with people, or it's not naturally just being, you know, demonstrated in public. So that's kind of a unique challenge for disco, um, that we're up against. And, you know, certainly we have had our challenges with retention we've invested a bunch of money time and resources, et cetera, into the brand, the packaging, the formulations, dispensation methods, et cetera. But the reality is like, we're up against some sort of societal problems that a lot of businesses aren't up against. And I'm not saying they don't have their own problems too, but that's sort of been the major challenge for us from a retention standpoint is just getting guys to really get in the groove. They, they might like the product, but um, changing their behavior is very difficult. Did you think about that when you started the brand or is that something you've realized afterwards? Candidly, I had two friends pull me aside. I didn't say this is not a smart business to start because of the nature of men. And I actually don't disagree with advice. It's been a complete uphill battle, Daniel, to be honest. Like it's, it's been a, it's been a, it's been a roller coaster for sure. Um, I might sound a bit jaded and, um, that's not what I intend to, to sort of, um, display there from an emotional standpoint, but yeah, it's been, it's been challenging. I won't, I won't lie. And I think, um, you know, if I were to do another business, I would probably pick one in a category that is stickier and more socially acceptable and more shareable and, and, and hotter from a sort of web traffic and demand standpoint. And obviously I would test it first, you know, five, 10, 15, 20 grand and see what the demand is like on a paid media platform like Facebook or whatever. And, and then decide, okay, I'm going to invest more in this because we have those signals that, you know, we have product market fit here. Doesn't sound, doesn't sound Jay, man. Like I appreciate the honesty, like this, these things are hard, you know, I think it's good for, I think it's good that I've got a brand owner here who's built a business and is building a business and acknowledging like these things, like it is an uphill battle. It's not as simple as just product, 
you know, landing page, it's all going to be great. I'll just run some ads. We'll, we'll make it work. You know, there's bigger considerations, especially when you're pushing to, you know, when you're, when you're growing, right. Having some early initial hype success, because it's just, you know, 10 is better than zero in terms of external output. There's that, that's one thing, but growing a sustainable business over time is, is a whole different ball game. Um, so I, I, I appreciate the honesty because I think more people need to understand that. Yeah. I mean, I think there was, I don't want to um, minimize the success of like sort of 2012 to 18 call it, but there was a period of time, a window, so to speak, where if you were opportunistic and smart, which many people are, right. And you had enough capital to, um, invest in a decent brand and a decent product. And you understood Facebook ads, like you make a lot of money. A lot of brands were built in that window there strictly off the Facebook arbitrage, right? And more power to them. Why wouldn't people have taken advantage of that, right? There was a time where, I think it was Moyes uh, talking about native said like their CAC was $3. It's like, well, and obviously like a ton of other factors went in. He, he had the right place, right time. He was smart enough to see that. He was very lean. He was in the ad account himself from what I've heard hours a day himself. So it's not to minimize his hard work, but it's like, that is an opportunity, a window that was just golden. That's path. So. And in, in other words, I think that's actually really like wrinkled out the dirty laundry and shown us now over the last year, two or three, since the iOS update, what businesses actually, you know, have legs and which don't. So, um, suffice to say, like there might've been an easier time back then, at least from a demand generation standpoint, but now you really have to be very diligent about your metrics. Um, and you can't just kind of like invest in Facebook and hold on for dear life. Now it's all about CAC, LTV, gross margin. What's your burn? Hopefully nothing because um, the environment's changed. So it's a totally different environment. And then you have on top of that, building a business, any sort of emotional stress, relationships, family, tragedies, et cetera. Obviously COVID, it's just been, it's just been a tough time for all businesses, but especially D2C when you added the iOS stuff too, which is like a fundamental shift, like shift under how the system works. So yeah, look, it's not easy. Um, but uh, yeah, if it was easy, everyone would do it, right? Exactly, exactly. And but do you see that changing? Like, obviously, we're in a, a down economy at the moment. Um, you know, I, th I saw a list the other day of these really big e-commerce or DTC brands and just how unprofitable they are because they've, they've paid for growth and unprofitable CAC and don't have the LTP to support. So it even feels like we're, we haven't seen the full kind of, and I don't want to be negative, but fallout from how things used to run to how things now are going to run. I don't see any big change in the marketing ecosystem, right? You know, we've seen little things like Advantage Shopping Plus and all this, and like, you know, you can still drive performance, but from a, a more macro level. Um, so I don't know, what's, what's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, I think to, I've made the point a few times sort of tangentially throughout the podcast, but, you know, you've seen a tectonic shift, one in sort of data attribution. And now that's two or three years in the rear view now. So if you're not adjusted by now, you know, you don't really deserve to succeed in my view. But to your point about the broader uh, economy, I mean, I think what's happened is, um, you know, downstream of everything that's gone on at the economic level, basically... VCs that fund companies like this have had the rug pulled out from them because, you know, they're not able to return the capital. These like sort of seed 25 to $50 million funds that all popped up 2015 through 2020 
And thus the funding has then dried up for brands, you know, sort of like Disco at the pre-seed seed and early series A stage if they're not doing retail. And that's created like a whole misalignment where before, you know, in this sort of like pre, um, you know, downturn environment, it was all about, you know, high burn, high growth, um, you know, sell to the largest bidder and then either go to retail first or after. And that was kind of the pitch was like, hey, we're doing 50 million a year. We're not profitable, but you can take us to retail and it'll make sense in your portfolio, right? I'm kind of talking consumer brands specifically here. That obviously has changed. So now, you, generally speaking, you need to be profitable unless you have a clear reason not to be profitable, right? If you know that, hey, we invest $3, we make two now, but we can bet from an LTV standpoint, we'll make five, six, seven over this time dominion. Well, that's, a, that's an investable asset that VCs will still invest in because you have a clear understanding of your metrics and what happens when you put X dollars in, right? The reality is like a lot of these brands have gotten caught with their pants down where they were just sort of artificially, for whatever reason, consciously or unconscious, um, you know, supporting an LTV that just doesn't make sense. So to answer your question long-windedly, um, I don't know what's going to happen. I think we have not seen the bottom yet in terms of D2C brands in the e-commerce ecosystem because there are still brands that have some cash left over from rounds raised um, beginning of 22 and whatnot. But that's going to start to, 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 the music's going to start to stop now. And I think you're going to start to see even more things go out of business or sell for nothing or be acquired. Um, so suffice to say, it's it's definitely a bit of a tumultuous time and an uncertain time. But you know, generally speaking, that's where the most money is made. So if if you're able to to build business um, in this time period, like your business is probably going to be worth a lot of money in a year or two if it's not already. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? How a shift in tides and a downturn gets people thinking about things in a way that probably should have always been the way <laughs> yeah. oh a profitable business who would have thought right and look, we're guilty of that too right we went the angel and vc model um because our metrics did back it out at the time and now it's it's a different story um from an ltv standpoint for many folks so um you know you just have to adapt quickly i think is is really the lesson here when things change and the reality is um, a lot of people haven't taken the medicine in other words like they knew six months ago that they wouldn't be able to raise if they had the smart investors telling them like, hey, you should probably, you know, clean up the balance sheet, um, you know, focus on burn, uh, reducing burn. And they didn't. Well, they're now stuck and they can't raise. And if they can, maybe it's at a much lower valuation. And unfortunately, like there's nothing you can do now other than sort of take that medicine super late, whereas you could have taken it 12 months ago and it would have been a lot better. Definitely. Okay. So switching, switching gears from that, um, TikTok, you haven't mentioned TikTok. And I, I'm just intrigued. It, you know, I'm all, I'm, I'm never a fan of shiny objects. Um, I think it's more than a shiny object, right? Because it's, it's coming. It's a big player now within the social media landscape. Um, I think a lot of people jumped onto it, especially following the iOS challenges that, um, you know, meant that Meta, Facebook back then, whatever it was called, at the time, um, jumped into TikTok as like, oh well, we can shift our money into TikTok, we'll do that instead. Um, it's got this explosive organic reach. Um, from what I've seen, yes, you can win on TikTok, but from a, a, a broader perspective and, and talking about maybe Mint as a, a subsection of that, Meta still outperforms TikTok for us. We're still spending far more money on Meta and Google than we are TikTok. It's, it's a good channel. Um, what's been your experience at Disco with TikTok? Yeah, we we have some experience, um, some good some good traction, I guess, rather uh, in the beginning of 2022 throughout the first half of last year, sorry Q1, Q2, 2022, and since pulled back, um, 
you know, never got the spend up to where we were anywhere close to where we were on Facebook at our peak of spend. Um, so, you know, I think it just depends is the answer. I think it is possible to build a brand using TikTok influencers and micro content, et cetera. And many brands have done that. So for me to come on and poo-poo it, I think would be foolish just because there are substantial examples of people doing influencers and brands succeeding um, through just organic reach and then boosting that, you know, with ad spend behind it. Um, but for us, no, that's not part of our stack now. I think looking to the future, which I assume you're subconsciously or, or sort of poking at is like, do we think that TikTok's going to stick around? I don't think so. Um, not in its current form. I mean, when you have both sides of the aisle, Democrats and Republicans sort of speaking or singing in harmony together, you know, generally, generally things don't look too good for TikTok, I think. And so, yeah, I, if I was a very TikTok heavily reliant brand, um, I mean, there's not how much you could do. I mean, I guess I would be investing heavily into posting that content on Reels. But yeah, I think, I think TikTok is done, at least in its current form. To what extent, whether it's like totally shut down or like reinvigorated as an American brand, I don't even think that'll happen because, you know, what's the guarantee that, you know, the Chinese government won't sort of embed code that's malware? I don't know, like cybersecurity expert, but it seems unlikely. So I think a complete shutdown and like total turnout is probably likely. But again, I'm not a macroeconomic uh, economist by any means. I can barely say the word correctly, right? So Oh, yeah, I, I just be, I just be, you know, building a backup plan through the lens of a brand. If I was heavily, I'd be building backup plans, um, you know, right now actively and aggressively moving spend off there if I was them. Yeah. It's interesting. I did a LinkedIn poll about, I think it was maybe two months ago. Do you think TikTok will get banned? And I think it was like the overwhelming, overwhelming majority was no. And I did it after the, that initial hearing. And the overwhelming majority was yes. And it's just, you know, so I think even even with that, and I, I agree with you. I think like, it's the same with any platform, really, if if everything is 100% reliant on it. I mean, there's some there's some platforms you can bet are going to be around, right? But, but, I mean, we saw this with iOS. No one was thinking about that until the six months prior to it happening. So it's like, I think not having, this is the classic advice, isn't it? Not having all your eggs in one basket is, is probably a smart thing to do. Um, probably a smart thing to do. I mean, I will say, though, about that hearing, and I don't want to get political. This isn't a political podcast. But when you've got someone asking, um, can TikTok, if it's connected to the Wi-Fi on a plane, control the plane? I mean, we've, we've got some other issues. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think we all know the the real issue with TikTok, um, the questions like that in these hearings and just like, are, are the staffers of these representatives, like not, you know, looking over their questions before, like it's unbelievable. It really is. Uh, dude, I tried to keep these succinct, um, and, and true to the name of bite sized, uh, really appreciate you being on. Um, again, um, I think Disco is a phenomenal brand, what you've built. Um, I'm, I'm lucky to call you a good friend of mine as well. So let, let's end it on um, what you're most excited for, uh, disco or personally in 2023. Yeah, just personal growth, man. Um, uncovering past bad habits and trying to become a better person, um, I think is what I'm personally focused on as far as the business goes. Um, you know, finding a finding a good balance of, of work-life balance where, you know, disco is growing efficiently uh, and profitably. Um, that's sort of my goal for the business and, and just continuing to augment with their skin. 
Awesome. Love it. I appreciate you, mate. Thank you for coming on. Request. Thanks for having me, Daniel.